1: From the southernmost point to the lands of always winter and what is west of west and the shadows in the east, this is Casterly Talk. I'm Ken Napsok for another look at the world and lessons, characters, and moments of ice and fire. We got some great calls today. I want to thank you all who have been enjoying the deeper dives into some of the journeys of the characters the Humanity of the Hound last week. It's particularly fun for me to dive into one of my favorite characters and, and really press, press pause a few times and just kind of see what his journey really means. And that can't happen. Those kind of conversations can't happen without your calls. Thank you for leaving me with plenty of calls, questions, and thought starters on the Anchor app. You can listen to Cast Talk anywhere that you choose to listen to your podcast, but grab that Anchor app. Call in. Love hearing from all the favorites, the familiar names, and the new ones. We love doing a quote of the week here at Casterly Talk. Looking into a quote from the show, a quote from the books, a quote from the creators behind the show as well. Anything that we find interesting and that we want to highlight. This week, we are going to uh, the uh, books. We're going into the books we got a quote from Sansa uh, from A Clash of Kings chapter 60 which is Sansa 6. She says simply, if I am ever queen, I'll make them love me. Sansa Stark, we've talked often, has one of the more overt and clear-cut journeys on the show. This is also goes into the books, yes. But going to the show, I, I have always been fascinated with the fact that Sansa Stark. I actually think was one of the more hated characters on the show. Hates a strong word. We're using it in just kind of general fandom sense here. I don't. I don't uh, uh, endorse just uh, hate being tossed around at characters or the people behind the shows or, or who write, direct, or portray these characters. But go back to that time. Go back to season one or two. Go back to when you watch the show with maybe, say, a more casual fan in your life. Sansa is a character that incites strong opinions. Ah, she's annoying. Ah, she's too soft. Ah, she's too much of a girly girl in this tough, brutal world. And I don't even like her. And it translates into these weird feelings towards Sansa Stark. Especially back in 2011. It was part of the conversation. What are your favorite characters in Game of Thrones? Well, I like Ned. I like Jon. You know, Cersei's bad, but I root for her. Arya's pretty cool. Uh, Sansa, nah, I don't like Sansa. But go to where Sansa ends up. And and we played the stuff with the Hound last week. It's one of the early turning points of the Hound, is his uh, treatment of, uh, and we'll say respect of Sansa from a certain point of view. Her growth, again, is, is, I say overt because you you see it, you feel it, you start to learn it. But I think more than anything, we start to experience the growth of Sansa. And there might be a little bit from all of us across all different perspectives and backgrounds as fans. I think if you're watching this show and the story play out, and maybe maybe without the book knowledge, if you're just watching the show, I think there's a little bit of us... In Sansa, us looking at this world, this fantasy world of kings and queens, princesses and uh, princes, uh, you know, uh, it's, yeah, it's got the magic and swords, but we are all Sansa in a way. You might see yourself as the the dashing knight, and maybe that means you, you connect with Jon Snow, you might... See yourself as the, the dragon mother who should be queen and that high fantasy stuff. But we're all kind of Sansa looking out at this. Oh, this is, this is great. Are there elves here? Uh, war dwarfs? Are we going to go return the rings? Where's King Arthur? And then slowly but surely, it starts getting destroyed around you. I, I think... If there's a part of you that might have found yourself annoyed or frustrated with Sansa early on, it's because maybe you started to see uh, yourself in the story. You started to see how naive you might have felt looking at this story in this world. Even going back to the King's Road, you you get that Joffrey's a little beep right from the start. But here's Sansa selling out her sister, selling out essentially... Her own wolf, her own dire wolf, which is hard to take, causing problems for her father, and even this king that we we think we kind of like, and you're pissed off at Sansa. You see it. You know it. You watch the hound come in with the butcher's son. You see it, man. So your frustration grows at Sansa because by episode two of the show, by early on in the book, the first book, you're going, no, this this isn't the fantasy world that we all want, Sansa. It's not. It's not. But she ends up, for a lot of people, being the one that they were like, hey, she should take the throne. She might deserve the throne. There's a lot of people that deserve the throne or a lot of people we wanted to see on the throne. Jon Snow's part of that. We did talk about the why of Jon Snow a couple episodes, and I guess, uh, you know, hey, that wasn't his journey, right? Daenerys. Had it, lost it, whole world of problems with that. We're rooting for, her, but also we kind of see where she went wrong. Ah, I mean, we like Cersei, but we didn't think she'd be on the throne. While none of us really picked Bran, and it does make the most sense from a certain point of view, from George R. R. Martin's point of view, or the theme of the stories, uh, the, the, the the story's theme uh, point of view. Um, that's a sentence. Trust me, uh, the Sansa does become the one that people are like, yeah, she's earned it. She's learned. She's learned from a lot of things. And plus, we went on this journey with her that starts as a petulant little princess-to-be practicing her needlepoint to some horrible, brutal, disturbing things, things that were disturbing outside of just the show that affected us in the real world, and that led to conversations in the real world. That's Sansa. That's all through Sansa's eyes and experience. She grows and gains confidence, and in the end, she's probably the best choice. Now, as I've said before, and I'll say again here, I find and take great meaning in Sansa Stark becoming Queen of the North and leading North, the North back to its its own independence and its own kind of Place on the map, as it always was and maybe always should have been, you know? The king that knelt, Torn Stark, changed it all, for understandable reasons. But that's why I think it's, it's it means even more. Sansa didn't get the Iron Throne or the concept of the Iron Throne and went to Bran, which essentially means Tyrion's kind of got the helm. Sansa reclaimed the North, which a lot of this series, uh, on the surface of things, was the North Continually t- uh, reminding everyone, we, we're, we're the North. Don't <laughs> no, forget, we're, we're the North. We'd like to be considered the North, a little separate from you. So that's great meaning to me. But this quote If I am ever queen, I'll make them love me. Uh, you know, Santa learns along the way who to love and how to love, and maybe making them love you is not the right idea. Daenerys might have run into that a little bit. And I don't mean that from a bullying point of view. I'll make them love me. It's just kind of like, no, I'll make them love me. Like I, I know what I'm capable of. I think that was a little bit of Danny's journey too. Danny's journey is like I'm not even ready to to, to tackle the why of Danny. Uh, I probably can't even do that alone. I'll need to call in the reinforcements here, Casually Tuck. But you know what I mean. Like Danny's like, no, let me stay a marine. I'll make them love me. I know I made some mistakes. I'll figure it out. I think so. Santa back. In the beginning, this is a Clash of Kings, Book Two, Season Two. That kind of concept makes sense to her. If I am ever queen, I'll make them love me. I know what I'm capable of. Yeah, but slowly, the world that uh, she is living in, the that kind of fake world, starts to break down. We know later on, Jon Snow just straight out accuses her of. Hey, I think you like Cersei, and there's Sansa. They're kind of admitting, yeah. There's a lot I learned from Cersei. And we know it's true. Go back to season two. I love this sequence, this scene. This is the uh, Cersei Lannister, Sansa Stark, and there's stuff later on in Battle of Blackwater Bay that's very valuable. But go before that, go a little earlier. This is the love no one but your children scene. It's great insight into Cersei. Great, uh, helps us understand probably why we we are rooting for Cersei, at least sympathetic for Cersei. He's trying to understand Cersei way earlier and then maybe even we realized. I think Cersei started to gain popularity as, as Lena Headey just continued to just dominate this role and own this role and own every scene she was in. Uh, so we started to find ourselves just kind of pulled in by the character. But go back to season two. There's stuff going on there. Go to, go to the season one stuff we've talked about, too. But I think season two, much like how a lot of we talked last week, the Hound interacting with Arya. Saying, "I understand the world." How many how many Starks have to be beheaded before you understand it too? Go back to John Snow, going to the Wall, learning from Egret, Tormund, Mance, Tyrion, being the only one to kind of lay it on the line as he had headed, headed to the Wall. Oh, it ain't the world you think it is. Rob Stark, uh, you know, he starts to get some of that, then he's dead. <laughs> this is the scene I want to play it here, as we uh, we've been doing lately. Uh, until someone tells me no um, we are uh, going to play this scene a little bit of the dialogue in the love known but your children scene and just listen as sansa's naive view of the world an understandably naive view of the world she's been raised to be the lady of winterfell and probably uh, going on to uh, be a princess and a queen this is this is her path right that's what she always believed she was and it was fairy tales and fireworks up until some of these type of moments, and I think this is one that you can actually listen as as Sansa's worldview is broken down brick by brick. Joffrey will show you no such devotion.
2: You may never love the king, but you will love his children.
3: I love his grace with all my heart.
2: That's so very touching to hear. Need to share some womanly wisdom with you on this very special day. The more people you love, the weaker you are. You'll do things for them that you know you shouldn't do. You'll act the fool to make them happy, to keep them safe. Love no one but your children. On that front, a mother has no choice.
3: But shouldn't I love Joffrey, your grace?
2: You can try, Little Tough
1: The great things uh, about these Game of Thrones scenes when you go back and review them is, is you truly can watch them uh, from different points of view uh, and look at, and this is a scene about Cersei and just more things about Cersei and her path here and her strategy and her view and that, that protective aura and that mask she has Around her, but this is uh, for our purposes today. Again, just brick by brick, Sansa's worldview being destroyed. Her 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 worldview um, of just even King's Landing being destroyed, and then starting to be rebuilt. These are the moments. That it carries on. And she starts to learn some stuff. The, 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 the Sansa that believes, hey, I'll make them love me, pops up in the Battle of Blackwater Bay, right? Kind of rallying those, the scared uh, people around her while Cersei's uh, <laughs> dipping into the wine. Uh, I love those scenes as well. I think there's a lot going on here. But go back to you know some of the early moments. Season 1, Sansa lost in the game. Not even trying to play the game, just lost. The game has begun being forced to write that letter, being afraid of Cersei, believing, ah, it's going to be fine. My father's going to take a deal. He's going to the wall. It'll all be good. Not uh, not anticipating anything going wrong with that. But then you go to these scenes, and, and now it's not that Sansa's like, hmm, I am learning. Baelish comes in and brings in a lot to the table in regard to that, for better or worse, but this is Sansa going, away. Something's afoot. My views, my thoughts, my fairy tales of if I am ever queen, I'll make them love me, are slowly disappearing. We do love, though, the Queen of the North, Sansa Stark, one of the more fascinating tales of... uh, different and growing and changing opinions of a character in the show. we got a call here from our good friend, Eric, about our favorite maester. I love that. Hey, Kenny Cashley Talks. So I planned on only watching uh, season one of Game of Thrones, but then I said, you know what, might as well watch season
0: two. And, you know, I realized I'm just going to rewatch the whole series because it's just the way it goes. But um, watching it now, you know, the maesters of Game of Thrones, and it got me thinking, who is your favorite maester that we saw on the show. There's lots of choices. There's Maester Lewin, who I feel doesn't get enough respect, to be perfectly honest. I think he's a great character. There's Maester Creston, who, if you know the books like we do, you know, we know what he meant to Stannis. There's Grand Maester Pycelle. There's a lot of maesters. Sam becomes a maester. But for me, I think my favorite maester has to be Eamon Targaryen. I think he's a very, very fascinating and interesting character. Um, loved all the scenes. May rest in peace i mean you know quireburn i guess if we count him as a maester which i guess we can he's he's a close runner-up so who is your favorite maester
1: great stuff from eric i love uh, that there's a strong wind behind eric i'm imagining eric making that call on top of castle black looking out into the true north Favorite maester. I did bring up a little list because, you know, you start the show, the books, and then the supplemental material. The World of Ice and Fire book, uh, Fire and Blood. A lot of maesters' names get thrown your way. Uh, Maester Wolkan is uh, one that pops up later in the show who I consider... Just a big pushover of a maester. There's the uh, maester of Bear Island. Uh, maester Helwig. Uh, Archmaester Ebros is actually Jim Broadbent. Perfect casting. Green, uh, Grand maester, uh Pycelle. It just might be because I love Julian Glover so much. I do like Pycelle, but, you know, he is kind of a loathsome character. Maester Cresson, Oliver Ford Davies, C.O. Bibble from Star Wars. I'll, 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 I like him just because of that communication disruption can only mean one thing melisandre's here there's a lot of other maesters, but uh, eric mentioned uh, probably my two favorite on the show uh, uh, you know uh, Maester Maester aemon targaryen is is beyond fascinating there's so much to his character so much to his story um, i love a Livridium. in fact i have been playing i i i got away from playing uh, game of thrones uh, was the game of thrones conquest on my phone just too repetitive to one of those uh, you're playing against other people and you build up your castle and you wake up one morning and all your castles are destroyed and it's just, it just wasn't working for me. We tried even back in the Daily Thrones day to, to, to get a Daily Thrones conquest team. It didn't quite work out. But just the other day, looking for a distraction, I, I've cut social media out of, uh, from my life as, as much as I can. Um, I, I need it for business and promotion reasons, but, uh, you know, just not wanting to spend so much Time on there, and you know you find yourself reaching for your phone. So it's like I'm going to permit myself uh, a distraction. So I started playing uh, this uh, other Game of Thrones game, which is uh, what is it? it? It it puts you beyond the wall, and it is uh, there. That's oh, that's the name of it. <laughs> GOT Beyond the Wall. I just downloaded the app without even like paying attention. I just uh, was like, cool, all right. Game of Thrones Beyond the Wall. But you all know I love the Night's Watch, I love the Wall, I love the North, I love the Free Folk, I love uh, all those things. But the game uh, takes place like a lot of Game of Thrones games. You know, it, it, it's canon. It's canon-ish in terms of the world. It's much like the Telltale game, which uh, you can... Uh, what's that? Maester or Tengrin? is the uh, maester up there, right? Uh, House Forester. Um, This one, uh, it's set before the events of, of, of the show, and, and so there's a young... Maester Amen in it. And I just was I just was fascinated with that. I've been playing that all week. So uh he's definitely up there in terms of uh my favorite Maesters and my favorite characters of the show just serves just great purpose to so many different characters and moments. Um, And I would love more him and Mormont have a a interesting relationship. I always just picture Mormont and uh, Gior Mormont and uh, Maester Amen just up there at the wall. Like, Oh my, what? what, remember the glory days? What's happening? How do we get out of this? Can we opt out of this? Um, But I will say this, my favorite Maester, and and I'll say this is, this is definitely show. Uh, We'll see when the books all wrap up, you know, Grandmaster Samuel Tarley, or Maester Tarley, might be my choice there. You don't know. You don't know what goes up. I'm going to play a little bit of a long scene here, but this is my my answer for what who is my favorite Maester on the show. It is Maester Lewin. I I really do like the character, and and he's gone early on, and so therefore he can kind of be forgotten. In uh, the scene we're about to play, him and Bran, they do talk about magic, and and Maester Lewin's views on it being gone, which are not, you know, it's not abnormal in the ranks of the maesters. And you, I I can definitely follow that conspiracy theory. Go listen to some great stuff on like Alt Shift X YouTube channel about what's going on with the maesters. What are they hiding? What are they suppressing? Yep. I am. I'm all for that. I, I think that's, uh, that's some good stuff. And you know, you want, you want to talk Arch Maester Marwin stuff. I'm all for it there, but, but Maester Lewin, It represents just the accepted point of view of the time. Uh, I don't think he's hiding anything from Mm -hmm. Bran. If the Maesters themselves are, that's fine. But I I think Lewin believes what he believes. But what I like about Maester Lewin, especially as the show starts to spiral off in the best ways, as shows do, right? Get bigger and bigger, and the story gets bigger and bigger. Uh, Maester Lewin, to me, is just this... When I think back on his scenes or I watch his scenes... He has this feeling of safety. He has this feeling of of home. It encapsulates that. If you go back and watch season one now, right? And, and I love that Eric and his call was like, yeah, I was going to watch one or two episodes. Yeah, I watched the whole series again. If you go back, you can get nostalgic. Even I don't, Star Wars, I'll go back to New Hope and you're just kind of nostalgic for the beginning of the story, the beginning of the hero's journey. It's smaller, it's small, smaller scale. It just feels a little more intimate. Maester Lewin's part of that for me. And every one of the Stark children, in their own way, including Jon Snow, I'll say, um, kind of want to get back to what was, right? They understand the world's changing. They're growing. They're changing. But there's always the the, the, the talk of going home. Going home is powerful. It's, it's powerful enough that, that Arya turns around on her path to go kill Cersei to go back home in season seven. Uh, Sansa, John, everyone returns home. And there's a lot of reasons for it and a lot of reasons that have to do with the, the, the changing uh, parts of the story and a need to go back to also preserve the future of, of Winterfell and reclaim it, of course, as we know. They're not just going around you know, back to have some eel pies and some memories. Uh, Ramsay Bolton's there. They, they got to go. But you know what I mean? They're all, they all want to go home. They all talk about it. It's a little bit like the Shire. It's part of the hero's journey. I'll have the same feeling watching Fellowship of the Rings. You know, uh, it's like, oh, it's so much simpler here. Just uh, Gandalf and and Bilbo are smoking, smoking weed pipes, and uh, everyone's uh, dancing and singing. And then we we all know it's going to get worse. So I I have all that I, I've attached to Maester Lewin and I just love his scenes and his moments. Let's play this one here: him and Bran talking magic.
3: Old man
2: used to tell me stories about magical people who could live inside stags, birds. Wolves. That's exactly what they are, Bran. Stories. So she was lying. They don't exist. Well, they may have done. But they're gone from the world. Along with much else. These are dreams, Bran. Nothing more. No. My dreams are different. Mine are true. I dreamt of my father die. Andricon had the same dream. What about all the dreams you had that didn't come true? Hmm? <coughs> I, this link is made of valerian steel. Only one maester in a hundred wears it on his chain. It signifies that I have studied the higher mysteries. And all who study these mysteries try their hand at spells. I was no different. I was young. And what boy doesn't secretly wish for hidden powers? To lift him out of his dull life into a special one. But in the end, for all my efforts, I got no more out of it than a thousand boys before me. (laughs) Come on. Maybe magic once was a mighty force in the world. But not anymore. The dragons are gone. The giants are dead. And the children of the forest forgotten.
1: Uh, Maester Lewin, he's uh, he's, kind of dashing the dreams of Bran there. (laughs) He kind of is. But here's the thing about it. Here to me is is kind of the emotional why of that scene. We can look at that now and go, man, he's almost literally wrong about everything there. And Bran being a boy wanting to get out of his doldrums, uh, dreaming of magic or being something that he isn't. I mean, you know, we know what's to come. This is he's talking to the king. He's talking to the the next, uh, you know, uh, the next blood raven here, the, the, the next three eyed crow. He's he's uh, he's wrong. Right? But what it also represents to me when you watch that and, and you take this feeling of home, the why of this scene is this is what happens when you move out from that comfort level, move out from your home, move away from your childhood. You do have all these dreams, or you do have all these things you can become. And that feeling of safety and that feeling of security and, and being home is great. And it's important. And it's important at the time. But eventually you must surpass it. And sometimes you're forced out of it. or Sometimes you make the decision to go out of it. Uh, and you start on your path. Bran has so much in front of him. Things he cannot see, cannot comprehend yet. He's starting to. Literally getting dreams about it. Good and bad. To me, I go to the scene. Maester Lewin is my favorite maester. He does represent home in Game of Thrones. That feeling of it. It feels secure. But eventually, you kind to have to move beyond that to become who you are really supposed to be. And That's why that scene has some extra power for me. Uh, a special nod to Donald Sumter, who plays Maester Lewin. He plays him so well. Uh, Donald Sumter has, a, has a, just a long career. Uh, he's uh Born in 43, uh just a long, long list of of uh roles on his uh, IMDB page if you want to look at those. But he's a type of actor now. Just fourteen episodes uh of Game of Thrones in an eight season show. He's just fourteen. He's gone by the end of season two. And in a painful way. That's tough stuff to watch. Uh, but he's the type of actor that you just you know. You're gonna always associate with it, so I had never seen the um, uh, the uh, the American version of A Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. It's it's one of my uh, girlfriend uh, Grace's favorite movies, and so we made a decision the other night. Uh, you know, she's like, Are you, "You're gonna watch this? Said, okay, great. I love Daniel Craig. Let's do this. Let's let's do this." He he pops up, and I just here in this totally different movie, this uh, modern movie, not with. Swords, sandals, or dragons, and all I could think of is that's Maester Lewin. It's Maester Lewin. Oh god, it's Maester Lewin. So, Donald Sumter. You might not like being forever associated with that role. Most actors don't, but he's probably thankful as well. So shout out to him. Thank you, Eric, for that call and those uh, thought starters. Love that. Lot to talk about there. Uh, quick call before we take a, a quick break here on Casually Talk. This is a uh, long-time listener, but first-time caller. It is our friend Donald. Check it in.
0: Hey, Ken. Listen to Robert Brathen episode recently and got me thinking about this what if again. What if King Robert Edda had a face-to-face meeting with John? And how would that meeting go with Ned in the room? Would something in Robert's mind spark seeing John up close of the memory of Liliana and what she used to look like? Because we do hear him say he can't even remember what she used to look like anymore. Would he then recognize any of her and John, or even Rager at that point, and then start asking questions to Ned? Would the doubt start seeking in him, and what would happen after that? Thanks.
1: Thank you for the call, Donald. Great call. I love that one. Yeah, if... uh... Jon Snow stood before Robert Baratheon. There, there would be problems. That's why Ned uh, goes out of his way. I think it's cloaked in this. Uh, hey, you're a bastard. We can't have you around the king or queen. It just wouldn't be proper. And there's probably a lot of truth to that, right? But uh, that, and that's what that's why John is out there slashing away on a, a sword uh, training dummy when he meets Tyrion. In the, in the in the famous uh, you know uh, where would they uh, they call you on your sleeve there right? Um, we know now, and we probably knew then. There's reasons Ned was just like you cannot be seen here. Kit Harrington, forget kind of the realities of who was cast as uh, Leanna or Rhaegar, and, and whether or not they look like Kit. Let's just go inside the story here. This is uh, this is a bad scenario. I don't even think Robert would wait for John to be out of the room in this what-if proposed here by Donald. If it's Jon Snow face-to-face with Robert Baratheon with Ned in the room, I think it gets combustible. Does Robert take out a sword and cut him down? No, 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 he doesn't. That probably leads to other conversations. But, yeah, I think, I think the look on his face would be absolutely too much to handle. He, he'd have to have to see it. Have to. Again, I always I always say, I really believe there's a huge level of just deny, deniability, plausible deniability, implausible deniability, just denial inside the heart of Robert Baratheon. Just scrambling around, looking for a fight, as we talked about in the episode, focused on him recently here in Casterly Talk. But I think he knows he can't face it because he has to face the woman he loved, didn't want him. And he's incapable of moving past that. Uh, Folks, gentlemen, move past that. And then it might, in his mind, make him feel like his place on the throne is not only not secured, but not actually earned or not actually real. And I think that's why his fire for any Targaryen left in the world that he can get his hands on is very, very real. And if the ghost of his past is staring directly at him in the face of Jon Snow, man, I almost want to see that scene. <laughs> if Mark Addy and Sean Bean with Kid Harrington just kind of in the corner, season one Kit still kind of learning the ropes, but these two actors going at it, I love I love the the Ned and Robert stuff. Mark Addy and Sean Bean just warm and 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 loyal and uh, a, a trust there and just a combustible fire there as well great stuff great stuff donald again thank you for the call hope to hear more from you we're going to take a quick break here in castle talk on the other side other side of it we've got more about john and his lineage and people knowing or not knowing and some conversations about backlash Stick around, it's Casterly Talk. It's time, baseball fans. The new podcast feed, Box Score Heroes, has arrived. This is the new home of this show, Behind the Bag, with Cat Napsock and Tom Dagnino. and It is also the place to find shows like the Legends of the Wax Packs, the only baseball power rankings you need, and My Favorite Baseball, a nostalgic look back at the game we all love, and more. Find the podcast feed on Anchor, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever podcasts are found. Box Score Heroes is your podcast home for everyone with a. A passion for all things baseball.
3: Well, hello there. This is Lauren Romo, one of the co-hosts of the Gale the Podcast. We are two gals that just talk anything and everything within that galaxy. Far, far away. Come join us for the Star Wars discussions. Stay for that silliness. You can find us on Apple Pod spotify google play and podbean follow us on twitter at the galactic pod and as always may that force be with you
0: Hey, it's Alden Diaz here to tell you about Octo Radio. It's an interview show that I do exploring the different passionate Star Wars perspectives from artists, writers, crafters, and even other podcasters, plus even some people straight from Lucasfilm. So you can come hang out on my podcast island and celebrate the Star Wars ties that bind us together. Oh yeah, what the pork said. You can follow us everywhere on social at A-H-C-H-T-O radio. That's Octo Radio and follow me at A-D underscore Strider. Hey y'all, what's going on? This is Kojak. I create music that can be found both on YouTube and SoundCloud, and now I'm a recent streamer on Twitch. So if you're looking for some chill instrumentals, check me out on YouTube and SoundCloud under KOJEQ, and for some laughs, you can check my Twitch page under KO underscore JEQ. Everyone, please be safe, and thank you.
1: Casterly Talk, the 68th edition of the show, goes into the deeper themes, meanings, and absolutely fun stuff, Game of Thrones, oh yeah, we can do an episode about our favorite disembowelments, that's in there too, that's part of the reason we watch this, we could could do a list of the most uncomfortable scenes to accidentally watch with your parents, I think it's all there, it's all there. I love diving into the deeper stuff here. And I love hearing from you out there. You are the lifeblood of this show. And we got some calls right now. Let's go to this one here from
3: Addie. Hey, Ken and really Talk. Addie again, back with another thought starter. This time reflecting on the end of season eight again. And specifically thinking about when... John found out about his true parentage what might have happened if Sam had not told him when he did if Sam and Bran I believe they would have told him eventually but what if it didn't happen when it did and Danny doesn't see John as a threat going into the attack on King's Landing you know maybe John doesn't find out until after King's Landing after they take it do Varys is still alive. Varys and Tyrion don't know. Does does having those those advisors make Danny choose to do anything differently? Um, Just really curious what your thoughts on what would have changed.
1: All right. That call was so good. Addie uh, cut the last seconds of her her wonderful uh, uh, call out there. Uh, You all have 59 seconds, and you're all doing great. And I've been loving Addie's calls lately. She's got some great thought starters. And I love this one. A lot of times I'll, I'll, I heard this one going into the episode, but a lot of times I'll make notes or think about it. I'm trying to be, you know, a little bit more, less rambly on all my shows these days, but I love this one. I'm just going to, I'm letting this one kind of flow. I'm just letting my mind go where it goes on this, this question here. So if John doesn't know he is a Targaryen and Danny doesn't know he's a Targaryen, the first thing I go to, quite frankly, is Game of Thrones, as their sex life don't stop, at least not yet. That might be what's different. They're going hot and heavy. They're free because it all starts to go wrong. And yes, it's the world of ice and fire. These are things that aren't necessarily, you know, Cersei and, and Jamie aren't out in the open. You know, and I'm okay with, but um, you know, in this world, you know, it's Targaryens. it's, Targaryen, it's was expected, but I, I it definitely, John's like, well, this isn't okay. This isn't what I thought. I think it's that's where the breakdown begins. Does Danny see him as a threat? Yeah, absolutely. Danny is, is threatened by him, and and rightfully so. This is again the path of Danny is just chock full of things that are like, no, she's not wrong about this, or she's treated wrongly or badly, and 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 there's horrible things that happen to her all through her life, but and she overcomes all of it. That's why Danny, to me, is always going to be an inspiration. But it goes to. I keep going back to absolutely one of my favorite moments is the show. In the show is in is is in, is in the bells and her staring at the red keep. That's hers, by right. That's hers by family. It's hers by legacy, and maybe you know breaking the wheel. You know maybe she's a victim to her own desires here. That no one wants that part of the wheel that still be there as well. But she. Wanted to make them love her and here she is staring at what is hers and it's a whole kingdom between the, 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 the keep and her at that moment. And that is something that she knew John would be a part of that he's down there probably just being loved even though it's a war going on. People rally around John she can see it and he's a good leader. She's not threatened in the way that it's like a Joffrey coming up behind her trying to take the throne. You know, she's wary of all the other people around her, as she should be. But but John was probably that time in her mind, maybe right or wrong, but in her mind, she might have been like, oh, he'd probably be better at this than than I would because he already has a head start. People here want him on that throne, and I'm starting to learn no one wants me on that throne, just opposite of what I was promised. And again, I always go down those Danny paths. So I think without that information, yeah, Danny... And John might still knock boots for a bit. And then I think I think John still becomes a threat to her. Or at least perceived as a threat to her and to her position. Again, she's right about it all. And John being an actual, actual threat proved to be very true. There's a great tragedy in Danny's character, as we know here. Uh, and I think that information might have just prolonged it. Same with kind of the Robert John Snow thing. Well, this doesn't seem right. That face seems very familiar. John might not have even if he wasn't a Targaryen. Even if he's truly Ned's son, and it's a a, a lowborn lady is his mom, and no one you know. Even if it's that, he is who he is, and he has so much of Ned in him, and he. And he learns from so many different sources, just like Sansa as well, along the way, including Stannis, Mance, Jor, Mormont, Sam, Pip, Grant, they're all there. They all kind of teach Jon Snow to be the better version of himself down the line. He is a natural leader, whether he wants to be or not. And I think that can't be changed, no matter what your name is. And I think Danny still feels that. But I, I think it prolongs it. And, and, and it 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 keeps John on a path. I keep making the jokes about them having sex, but it keeps him on that path. He 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 might be. I don't think I don't think it, the, the, her true love was was Drogo, and his true love was Egret, and that that's that's very clear. But uh, you know, life happens, and sometimes you, you need to move on, right? Just talking about love love and romance. Sometimes the love of your life will always be the love of your life, but. Circumstances, sometimes bad, sometimes just life, will take you beyond it. And that was to me, Danny and John. Well, the old song goes, if you can't be with the one you love, love the one you're with. Do 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 and I think that was them. Would have kept going and it might have kept their team together. Ooh. Thinking about it. Yeah, I like that. I don't know. Good question, Addy. Good question. Final one of the day. I've actually been sitting on this one for a bit. This is from Nick, and this uh, also has some uh, Season 8 connections as well. But now we're going outside the story to talk about Backlash and the artists who make the shows.
0: Hey, Ken. Obviously, we spent a lot of time talking about the backlash on Season 8, and I don't want to spend much more time on it. But like a lot of people, I've been caught up in all the controversy surrounding The Last of Us 2 and everybody saying, you know, you've uh, disrespected the characters, you've ruined the game. All the same stuff we've been hearing about The Last Jedi and Game of Thrones Season 8 and all that kind of stuff. And it just gets me thinking, obviously, we saw with The Last Jedi, Ryan Johnson took a lot of big swings. Some of them worked for some people, some of them didn't, whatever. But then J.J. J. Abrams was brought back, obviously, to make a safer movie. He wasn't brought back to make big, bold narrative choices, and he didn't. And that's fine. I really like that movie. But looking forward, especially with House of the Dragon come out, coming out, do you ever worry that some of these backlash, uh, backlashes might dissuade these creators from taking these bold chances? Because I think the worst thing that can happen is that... Popular creators who are just making a bunch of safe art. Do you ever worry about that, especially with uh, House of the Dragon coming out? Thank you.
1: Nick, yeah, great call. Yeah. I, I do. I do and I don't. Miguel Sapochnik is going to have a lot to do with House of, of the Dragon, and he's – I don't think he has a lot of the Season 8 um, – I'll say stain but I don't think that's right. Uh, I, you know, you, you all know I love that season and even I think if you listen to Casterly Talk and you and you don't like season 8, you still have a level of respect for the people that that made it. At least I would hope that would be the case. Um I I I don't know too much on the Game of Thrones side of things. Um I wish I did. I I know I know one person, acquaintance, who does know. Uh uh, I think it's... Da- I don't know if I can't remember now if it's Dan or Dave. He's really good friends with one of them. He knows both of them, but he's, he's good friends with one of them. I've never had a chance to ask that friend, like, hey, what do they really feel now? Hey, they didn't show up at Comic-Con. They didn't do that. And they always knew. There was, there was those things, seasons before the show ended, where like, hey, when this show ends, we're going to go drop offline and we're going to go hide out and you know, for many different reasons I don't blame them. Uh, but yeah, I... I think it's, uh, it could, uh, we don't know too much. Their departure from Star Wars, Benny Offenweiss departure from Star Wars, I think, absolutely, don't believe a lot of the, the YouTube rumors. I don't think anyone here is, but uh, their departure had way more to do with Netflix going, yeah, we're, you're not going to make content that will end up on Disney+. Plus. Here's the money to keep you from doing that. I, I think it had a lot more to do with that. And then, if you factor in from Lucasfilm's point of view of well, they just you know they've been in the, in the center of a couple of controversies, uh, controversies here with the ending of Game of Thrones, and also the whole Confederate uh, show and everything. I think, yeah, maybe, maybe this is okay, but I, I I don't not quoting don't quote me here. Don't use this. I just I I hear tell that there was a little bit of of anger and frustration at them leaving. So it gives me some. Some indications that they Lucasfilm wasn't necessarily thrilled that they left there, but it happened. Um, did that? Did any of season eight factor into that? Did Betty Affleck's look, uh, you know, look behind them at the Game of Thrones fandom and then look ahead at the Star Wars fandom and go, eh, we're off the ship." I, yeah, I can believe that. I hear tales of on the publishing side in Lucasfilm where a lot of authors have just received horrendous amount amounts of of attacks and trollish behaviors and just straight out, just any type of bad behavior, just name it, name it. Uh, The authors have received it, specific authors. I'll leave you to guess which type. Um, And I've heard from the publishing side a little bit that, yeah, maybe uh, people being offered Star Wars books, less likely to do it. Uh, Ryan Johnson faced the the backlash as best he could head on. I, I, I he he faced it like a Jedi as best he could. Faced it with hope and pacifism when uh in general, and when he needed to to attack, uh, not well, not so much attack, but defend, he did. I think he'll make another Star Wars picture. I really do. I I think the pull of the properties bring them in, uh, bring people in. Still, that's one half of it. Nick's other part is will it take chances that can be a relative term I, I agree uh, Rise of Skywalker a film that I love I think it's a deeply spiritual movie way more than people want to give it credit for but I, it had some big broad strokes that made sense to the overall ending of the not just the sequel trilogy but the whole trilogy. And maybe you wanted to get, have it go in a different direction, so eh, you yeah, know, then it didn't take the chances. I still think not taking chances is a relative term, but it does exist. It does exist. Same with season eight. A lot of people ah, they, they, they took, they, they didn't take any chances. Uh, yeah, but I, I have a lot of people. I have diehard fans that I know. Maybe not, they're, they're not deep book fans or anything, but by the end of season six, they kind of were. Just like, give me something happy. Give me some hope. I don't say, I don't think season eight ended with a lot of happiness and hope, but you know what I mean? They just like, I, you know, I, I have, I've had conversations with these friends and I don't want to help them so that they uh, face any pushback from anyone, but they've been like, Hey, you know, season seven, when the, the, the snow team six went North of the wall and, and only Thoros uh, of beer died. I have one friend who's like, yeah, no, that's absolutely what I wanted. And let's not forget Benjen too. Um, they're like, no, I didn't, I, I like these, I'm tired of all these characters dying on this show. It's just too dark sometimes. Again, these aren't necessarily book fans, or, but these are fans who have not missed an episode who can talk about the show. So season seven didn't take chances, but also in a way it did because it said hey, people are going to survive. I think true artists, true creators, true writers, true, true actors, um, true producers will continue to take the chances. You do have to factor in some things when you're making a, a film for a big company, for a big audience. You have to factor in uh, some big decisions that might seem safe or might be there, you know, maybe seemingly to placate a, a, a group of, of fans. And it's not necessarily that you are doing that, it's you're telling your story as best you can. But we live in different times than even, I'll say, even in the last year. I think it's gotten so much worse, it's gotten destructive. And we could see. I focus on keeping people away more than changing the decisions of the creators, if that answers your question, Nick. I think I'm more worried about people just going, ooh, a Game of Thrones series, a a spinoff, yeah, I mean, just not worth it. But the people who do sign up, I don't think they're going to be changing their decisions or tempering any thoughts. They're going to make the best story that they can and do the best that they can and want to do uh, until uh, a network pushes back. And, and HBO has a reputation for not pushing back. Maybe I've heard uh, and this definitely tracks with Game of Thrones. I've never sold a show to HBO nor made a show for HBO uh, yet um, that they, Hey, their hands are all over the pilot to get it right. And then after that ships out to sea, it's all yours, captain, which might, speak to why uh, the, uh, the game of Thrones pilot got the miraculous second chance which does not happen happen often so a uh, uh, little rambly there Eric uh, I hope you understand but I love that question it's 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 a it's a question that only in individuals can make um, to Ryan Johnson specifically. Uh, Again, I don't know him directly. I spoke to him at the last Jedi premiere (laughs) when we both were in a daze of leaving the theater into the party. I literally bumped shoulders with him, had a great little moment, and he he just was uh, eyes wide open, just a surreal moment for him. Uh, He has no memory of that. I have every memory of it. Um, But I do know some folks that know him, and uh, I can tell you he is a big Star Wars fan, and it hasn't faded. Whether or not he goes on and makes another Star Wars film, that's that's a bigger question that might not even have to, anything to do with him. Um, but I think he'd do it again. And I think he'd still make the same bold choices that he made in The Last Jedi. So we'll see what happens. Miguel Sapochnik and all the names attached to House of the Dragon. That is it this week. Thank you for listening to Casterly Talk. If you'd like to follow the show, you can go like the Facebook page. You can follow me at KedNabSuck. Use the hashtag Casually Talk. Go to my website, KedNabSuck.com, for information on other shows, podcasts, and the book I wrote, Why We Love Star Wars. Where to support all those good things. Don't forget to go to the Charity Spotlight tab. Click there and find a charity that... You might be interested in uh, knowing more about our featured charity right now for this month is Same You, which was founded by Amelia Clark. It is about uh, brain recoveries, brain injuries, education for medical professionals, uh, and support for those who suffer traumatic brain injuries. Which Amelia Clark did. Well, people didn't realize it. She kept it secret, kept it low profile, but early on in uh, the uh, Game of Thrones tenure. She suffered a brain injury. So same you. The links are all on my website at kidnapsock.com. Support R. Khaleesi. We'll see you next week on Casterly Talk.